Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. That's how the show works. Let's say you're you're driving around on a nice weekend and you're listening to the radio. You're like, oh, what's the traffic situation? And then now you're hearing me and you're like, well, what is this? It's a radio show about money, your money, and the way I help you is that you email me, askpete at petetheplanner.com. Will I answer your question in real time? Absolutely not. You have to email me. I'll do it next week. Uh, It's the procrastination of financial advice. Joining me, as always, from Studio Northeast is one Damian Dunn, Director of Personal Financial Strategies. It's a long title. You should see how big his business card is. At your money line. Hello, Dame. Hi, Pete. Oh, I liked how you matched my voice. Like I'm sort of in a in a mood and you got in that mood. Dame, we've got several questions today from people who want this to happen for them. The first one is from a guy named Jim. Hi, Pete. Great podcast. If you're just listening for the first time, that's a great way to get your email read is compliments and greetings. Hi, Pete. Great podcast. I'm 6'4". My, mm. No, it's 64. He's there 64. I'm 64. My wife and I are looking to move, not really downsized, to a more suitable retirement home. We're finding the properties we are interested in so quickly. Our house is paid for and we don't want a mortgage. Making the sale of our current home a contingency seems to be a deal breaker. We're okay with purchasing a house before we sell our current home. We don't want to disrupt our investments, though, for the temporary financing of the new property. We got pre-approved for a $250,000 mortgage. The fee estimate for the mortgage was around $5,000. We're also looking at a HELOC, which would allow us to make a cash offer with some additional funds, which won't disrupt our investments. There are no closing fees unless you sell your house within three years. These fees would be $2,100 American dollars. We could always take the mortgage and reinvest the cash taken out of our current home. But at our age, we really don't want the payment and we don't need the income. What do you think regards Jim sent from my iPad? (laughs) Uh, Dame, what jumps out? I mean, first of all, I love how he breaks this down because uh, I'm currently dealing with a real estate situation myself and and dealing with funding repairs and doing these sorts of things as I try to sell this property. And and oftentimes when you when you're trying to work through and you you know you have the end game in mind, you're just looking for financial options to make it happen. And that's what I love about Jim's email is that he's already identified two to three options here. Yeah, he uh, he and his wife know what they want and they know what they want to avoid, which is you know just as important in this case. So um, he's done some thinking. He's he's got some ideas, but maybe we can come up with a couple other ones too. You know, I did say HELOC, and I just dismissed it as though everyone knows what HELOC is. Um, it is not a He-Man character. It is a home equity line of credit. Did you watch He-Man back in the day? Sure I did. Oh, it was good. Uh, the haircut on the cartoon He-Man was pretty rough, though. He looked like yeah. Dutch boy on the side yeah, of the paint very, can. Yeah, very much. Yeah, big time. My third grade girlfriend had the same haircut. Veronica. Hmm. Hmm. You shouldn't have a girlfriend in third grade. Uh, so what do you think? I, I think the HELOC is the best option here. Um, I, I'm anxious to see if you and I disagree on this, but I think based on the fees of getting a, a whole new mortgage and then using the proceeds from the old house to come in and then pay off that mortgage, the $5,000 it would cost to facilitate that process don't make it worth it to me. I'd rather him get more creative, use the HELOC, 
It's got you know, f- fewer fees, and it's. Uh, I think that's the way to go. I think. Um, I think it could make sense. I am curious since you said the houses they are interested in sell quickly, which is is common in a lot of different areas right now in the country. Um, I wonder if his house would sell quickly if he put it on the market. If, um, if that's the case, um, go ahead and put it on the market and maybe, maybe you end up in a, you know, a, a furnished apartment for a, a month or two while you're trying to get the other house closed on. Um, but that way you don't have to mess around with the HELOC. If, if his, he thinks his house may not sell quickly, um, man, the last thing you want to do is, is take some cash out, uh, buy another house and then potentially have two payments and one house that you're not living in and maybe not be able to sell for a while. So I, I'd be curious as to how quickly he thinks his house would be uh, marketable and, and saleable. I do not know Jim, although I do know he is either six feet, four inches tall or 64 years old. Mm-hmm. I doubt 64 year old Jim wants to do the double move. Oh, I, I totally doubt it too. But if you want to play conservative, um, there's your option. Now, if, if you uh, are confident in your house and, and its marketability, um, yeah, the HELOC makes some sense. You are right that that is an option. And I would say if Jim were 47 years old and didn't have small kids, I would double move in a heartbeat. At 64, you're retired. You, uh, you know, he's got assets. He, he, I, I, don't think, I don't think he's double moving. I think the best move is to pay the $2,100 in fees, do the HELOC, get it going that way. Now, of course, there is danger in the sense that, you know, the longer he goes with two homes, the tougher this situation gets. I mean, we all know people that began their journey to sell their home this exact same way, figured out a way to finance the next home, and then held on to that home way too long because a buyer didn't come along, the market turned, something was wrong with their home. And then this $2,900 that he's attempting to save by doing the HELOC at $2,100 versus the $5,000 of the new mortgage gets eaten up in a lower sale price. Uh, Do you get concerned that he could end up with two homes longer than he wants? I I think you just made a really strong argument for putting his house on the market as soon as possible. And then if he has to live somewhere temporarily for uh, a couple months, then, then so be it. Is this one of those things where I came back around to agreeing with you? It could be, but I wouldn't blame you if it is. I got to think what that even means. I'll say this. uh, If it were me, and I am not a 47-year-old with no young kids. I'm a 41-year-old with young kids. If this were me, oh my gosh, I'm just thinking of Mrs. Planner trying to kill me if we did a double (laughs) move. (laughs) I had to check myself for a second. I don't don't know Jim's sensibility, but you, you are right. Technically, the best thing to do would try to do a double move. You know, look, if if you've got a, a good realtor and the circumstances work out right, you may be able to stay somewhere temporary for 30 days. You know, this doesn't have to be a double move where you're somewhere for three months. You could make the timing work from a closed perspective. I think I'm with you. I, I think sure. I'm, I'm putting the house up now and then, you know, testing to see what sort of feedback you get and then start making offers yeah. on places. Put- Put the house up. If uh, if you if things move real quick and you sell your house, you can go find something. If there's a little bit of time in between closings of the house, maybe take a vacation. Load everything up into a pod. Oh my gosh! Um, just have it sent to the new house, waiting for you when you get back from your little vacation. Come back, and you're you're moving into your new house. 
Life hacks. I think that was a life hack. I, I think it. you just there gave you a life hack. Uh, that's our first hack. I hate life hacks. But yeah. I will say that was a good one. Uh, Take I, a vacation. Put your stuff in a pod. Damn, that's a brilliant solution. Thank you. You should answer financial questions for a living. I've, people have told me that before. No, you know what? I think that's a really good answer. What you do is you put your house up. If the timing gets weird, you and Mrs. Jim. I'm not talking to you anymore, Damn, I'm talking to Jim. That'd be awkward. Mrs. Yeah. <laughs> Damien and Mrs. Jim go on a little romantic vacation. Uh, maybe the, you know, the Isthmus of Panama. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know I can spell Isthmus. Dane, we've got so many questions on the show this week. We've got uh, feedback from people who've listened to the show. We got a guy who followed our advice and has given us an update. Needless to say, it also came with a, a subpoena. Um, and uh, lots of current events and the biggest waste of money of the week. You excited about all this? Yeah, let's get to it. Okay, we, we are at it. Oh. Jim, so final advice. Put the house on the market now. Try to time it up. If you can't, go on a vacation with Damien and your wife mm, and yeah. it will all be better. I'll buy dinner. Wow. That's uh, three's company. Mm -hmm. Or is a crowd. Coming up after the break, more of the Pete the Planner show. There's another question. I think it's about emergency funds. So that's what we're doing next. Emergency funds. You, me, Dame. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. It's not as awkward as it feels. I'm Pete the Planner. And this is my show. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Damn, that first segment felt was sponsored by coffee. <laughs> I've had a lot already today. All right. Well, oh, uh, we should say hello to some of our newer affiliates. Dame, we got an affiliate up in uh, your neck of the woods, Kendallville, Indiana. Yeah. 95.5, right? The Hawk. The Hawk. Then Greensburg, uh, the folks listening in Greensburg, Indiana, hello. Of course, the people in uh, Indianapolis, hello. And uh, all over else. Yeah, there, there you go. And the podcast, welcome to your car. Uh, next email is from a guy named Dave. G'day, Pete. Dave. I, I, know, I know. I like it. I like it so much. You know, we love good day, but the fact that it's good day, then I'm like, this guy wrote this from the Outback parking lot. He's having a blooming onion for lunch. I really enjoy your show and appreciate your approach to finances. One question. Once again, a brief compliment goes so far. One question I would like to ask is in regards to emergency funds. The longstanding school of thought in emergency funds is that they should be held in savings accounts, short-term CDs, that's not compact discs, that's certificates of deposits, or money market accounts in order to access them quickly. Dame, I can already tell I love this question. Read With on. I will. With the speed of brokerage firms today, I can sell stock and have funds in my account in just a few days. Would it make sense to keep a portion of my stocks that I have held for the long term? I got to come back down an octave because I couldn't go much higher and earmark them to sell when and if emergency funds are needed. You would need to keep the tax implications in mind, but this would seem to garner the benefit of a better investment return and still have money quickly if an emergency arises. Thanks for all your sage advice over the years. Dave. Was that a well-written email? Doesn't it feel it, like that? It does. Uh, uh, succinct, to the point, clear. Yeah. Nice job, Dave. Good job, Dave. All right. 
Dame, I've asked myself this same question in various forms over the last 20 years. I'm curious as if you have too. Um, yeah, actually I have. It, it's, it's interesting, right? Because here's, I'm going to just say, I know Dave. I, I don't know Dave. Maybe I know Dave. I don't know, but here's what Dave's thinking. Dave's thinking, I have a pretty high risk tolerance. I understand the market ebbs and flows, and I'm willing to take the risk to have my emergency funds temporarily dip if they are headed in a higher and better direction over a long period of time. That Would you assume that is also Dave's stance? Yeah, I think that's probably a accurate representation of our good friend Dave. And by the way, I hold that exact same thought, and I assume you do too. Yeah. Here's a problem. By the way, I'm going to tell Dave he's right here in a minute, but there is a big problem. Emergencies arise for lots of different reasons. One of the reasons that an emergency can arise is when the economy at large or your personal economy gets kicked in an uncomfortable area to be kicked. I didn't know what direction to go with that. If I should go blue. Wait, way to go like safe. A, you went yeah, safe. Yeah, somewhere somewhere soft. Getting kicked in somewhere soft. There you go. Right? And so if, if things go poorly in the economy or your personal economy, you will tap your emergency fund. Now, if things are going poorly in the economy, and the stock market is also participating in that poor moment, then you are withdrawing funds in a period of time in which those same funds are going backward. And Dame, that's a bad idea. Very bad idea. Like a really, 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 really bad idea. Uh, it is forced timing of the market in a way. You know, ideally when your stocks are going down, you, you don't want to get out of them. You want to buy more of them. Absolutely. But you were forcing yourself to get out of them. And that is bad. And so, yes, a portion of your funds can be in some form of a balanced investment, your emergency funds. But I don't think a large portion, I, I think it has to be beyond three months, right? If you have to have three months in something conservative, and if you want to have three to six months or beyond six months in a market-based instrument, I'm for it. What say you? I, unfortunately, I totally agree. I, I think you've got to have something solid to go to in three months, uh, just accessible in cash that is going to be steady and not fluctuate with uh, whatever geopolitical events may be going on or, or monetary uh, declarations by the Fed and nothing. It's just got to be there and be ready for you to access when you need it. Uh, the last thing you want to do, like you said, is is have that emergency and then find out your emergency fund is uh, two thirds of, of what it was a month ago. Uh, a couple things. Number one, that sound you just heard was my computer reminding me that it's one of my best friend's birthdays tomorrow. I just wanted to well, throw happy, that out. Happy birthday, Pete's <clears throat> best friend. She's in Colorado. So she didn't hear that. Anyway, number two, um, you know, back in the day, I used a mutual fund as this particular type of backup emergency fund. And I, I remember it was American Funds, American Balance Fund. Okay. And I remember the ticker symbol. It's A-B-A-L-X. I am not suggesting a person should do this. But what I want to do is I want to tell you what has happened with the American Balance Fund, which is, uh, I believe, at the time was 60% stock, 30% bonds, and about 10% cash. And, and here's, here's why I did that. Because over the last five years, if I'm looking at it right now, by the way, this is not an investment recommendation. 
Um, it had averaged, uh, oh boy, this is going to be fun. I shouldn't have done it this way. Anyway, it's up 11% year to date. Mm-hmm. Um, it, man, I, I really, really should have clicked on this well before the segment because now I have to dig through stuff. Anyway, it is a, an A share though, which means you have to pay a sales charge to get into it. As an investment advisor back in the day, I got it at net asset value, which means I did not have to pay fees on it. Uh, but it's interesting all the same to use a balanced mutual fund or a balanced investment as a part of your emergency fund. I now do that with ETFs. Uh, Dame, do you actually in practice do that as well? Or is it just a, a theory of yours? Uh, it's just a theory. Everything that I have tabbed as an emergency fund is cash. Uh, anything that is more of a, a, a midterm investment, uh, a mid, you know, midterm bucket, if you want, um, the options open up at that point, whether it's a, a mutual fund, an ETF, uh, some sort of, uh, debt, uh, instrument, something like that. Uh, that's, that's when I can start messing around with that stuff. But if it's emergency funds, it's in cash. I'm going to think about this. I want to try to be as transparent as possible because I just want to, I, I don't know. I want people to be able to think through this. I, I'm thinking of my own situation. I've got, I don't think I have any more than 25,000 in cash. I just don't, mm-hmm. but I've got a, a lot more than that that has the cash's back that doesn't necessarily have another goal other than growth. Sure. This gets back to investment objectives. So what Dave's question really is, is he's got this pool of money that he's a willing to uh, achieve growth, which I would call modest growth. And at the same time, he wants the second objective to that to be liquidity, to have his back in the in the case of a emergency fund. And so I'm I'm game for that. It just has to be beyond that three months pool of money. Totally agree. I, you know, I've, I've even heard of, uh, some people using their Roth IRAs with the mindset that if, if something really goes wrong, I can always go in and get the contributions out. Um, you know, that's another segment for another, I don't know if we did or not, but it seems like that could be a segment for another time. I swear someone brought that up to me the other day. It had to have been you or from someone from your team. Could have been. Did you talk about that with your team? Now we're talking work on the air. This yeah, is this, uh, they're going to love that. Ratings are going. What time you get to the office next week? <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Dave, go for it. Except, just know if your job, your profession, is one that could be affected by a downturn in the economy and the market at large, then this is not a great idea. If you have more stability in your job and your financial situation, it can make some sense. But you're going to need to be patient, and you have to hope that your emergency doesn't come because of the economy. That it's some other thing, like your your ferret needs a new pancreas. I don't know. I could I could try to think of scenarios all day long, and I don't know how that would serve us. Dame, coming up after the break, we've got some uh, additional emails, people who've emailed askpete at petetheplanner.com. Some of them are positive, and others of them are, are different. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, Damian Dunn, Studio Northeast today. Dame, how's the weather up there? It's cold in Indianapolis today. It's a little chilly, but bright and sunny. wonder if talking about the weather to people who listen via podcast is just a weird thing, because talking about the weather on the radio is very common, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about radio uh, weather on the podcast, a podcast, because that makes no sense whatsoever. 
yeah, it's uh, it's almost like a historical journal at that point. Uh, good day, Pete. Oh my gosh. It's been a good I, day. I love when people listen to this show. Earlier this summer, I posed the question of, is a financial planner worth it? You and Chad Meadows were, oh my gosh, Chad Force. That was his guest episode. And he did a great job. I think you're jealous. I No, not at all. Not, not at all. You and Chad Meadows were able to answer my question during podcast episode 314. After laying all my cards on the table, one of the takeaways you and Chad provided me was to seek out life insurance. I left that part out of my original email. But I do have an existing $500,000 term life insurance policy with 12 years remaining until it expires. I hope. <laughs> That's funny. Since that podcast, though, I've obtained another $1.25 million in life insurance split between a 20-year, $250,000 return of premium term policy and a 30-year, $1 million term policy. I also have another $100,000 of coverage through my work. I noticed that his wife is not CC'd on this email, Dame. Uh, it's probably for the best. I just wanted to take time to follow up and say thank you for answering my question. I always look forward to the weekly podcast and the advice you and your co-hosts have to offer. It's also great to hear you and Damien banter with one another. Thanks again, Michael. He crossed out the spell, Michael, and respelled it with a Y. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so excited by that. Okay. There's so much in this email. You're welcome, I guess, is I guess we'll start. And thanks for listening. But I want to explain a few things that came up in this email that may have people's heads spinning that, that are interesting. So typically, if you have uh, people who depend on you financially, especially young children, a good rule of Peter is to have at least 10 times your income in life insurance. That, that rule almost always works if you have people who depend on you financially especially if you have a young family. Uh, I have 10 times my income in life insurance. I would assume Damien has close to that as well. Am I making that up or am I making you a liar on the radio? You're you not making me a liar on the radio. In fact, if I really think about it, I have more than 10 times my income in life insurance. And so I'm a strong believer in life insurance. Then we get into the different types of life insurance. And Dame Michael with a Y, which I pronounce Michael, uh, he mentioned return of premium life insurance. You want to want to take the people down this path? Yeah, sure. So uh, term policies uh, have a, a nice little feature that you can elect to pay for uh, if you decide to. So if, if you uh, pick a 30-year policy and you choose to have return of premium, at the end of that, no, that's not how that works. Yes, it is. Yeah, at the end of thirty years, if you don't yep. use, uh, if you don't use the policy, which if you don't die, if you don't die, essentially, uh, you get your money back. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, I'm going to make up some numbers here. Let, let's say thirty years. We'll just we'll go with that. Uh, let's say your premium would be fifty dollars a month for a thirty year policy. Who cares about the amount? That's not the point. If you die within that time frame, your family gets the face amount of the policy. If you don't die, you keep paying fifty bucks a month. Um, and then the, the, the policy goes away if you don't have return of premium policy or it doesn't necessarily go away. It just gets more expensive because it's a 30 year level premium. And, uh, anyway, you get no money back. If you put return of premium rider on there, instead of having a $50 premium, you might have a $90 premium for the exact same coverage. But the difference is at the end of that time frame, you're going to get your money back. 
So it makes your policy more expensive, but it also guarantees that you will get all of that money back anyway at the end of the 30 years. So if you are in a cash flow crunch right now, return of premium uh, term policy doesn't make a lot of sense because it makes your premium more expensive. If you're not in a cash flow crunch and you can't live with yourself, the idea that you're going to waste all this money for someone who's going to be alive 30 years from now, then return of premium policy can make sense. But that's dame where I would then begin to say, maybe a permanent policy could make sense if that's the way you think. What say you? Uh, possibly, but you know, we both know that the premium difference in a term policy and a term return of premium policy and a permanent policy. Um, there's going to be a wide range there of of dollars that are being laid out by by the insured at that point. So even if you are um, wanting that premium back or, or wanting a a savings component or investment component, the term policy may still be the most affordable option for you. No, I, I agree. I I try not to get caught up in like term policies are always the best or permanent policies are the best. The reality is all of these financial products that you see out there exist for a particular reason and fit in the right scenario. Um, I, I think obviously Michael with a Y, Michael, he made a good decision. He split the premium because he did not want to pay $1.25 million premium on a return of premium policy. Can you imagine what that premium would have been? Quite a bit. I don't know how old this uh, emailer is, but that would have been quite spicy. But I like it. I, and whoever set him up on that, that's a, an interesting way to do it. That being said, here's the other point about life insurance that people sometimes forget. Your goal when you get a term policy is to make your fi- the rest of your financial life work so that when that policy is up, you no longer need life insurance. Because if you don't do that and your term policy expires, then you're buying a much more expensive policy and, and and you may never might not be able to qualify for it because of your health situation. Yeah. So if you uh, have your, let's say you have a 30 year policy that you bought in your, your twenties at some time, but you get out towards the end, you know, let's say 15 years into it, maybe 20 years into it, you think you might need a little extra coverage. Well, you can do that. You can, you can buy another policy, not for uh, the full amount that you currently have, but a, a smaller amount possibly to cover that gap between the end of the first policy and when you think you won't need insurance in the future. Next email is from a guy named Fred. Pete, love the podcast. You dropped a bomb recently at the end of a recent podcast. You casually mentioned Michael Burry from The Big Short is predicting index funds are the next bubble. I went online and scared myself reading article after article on the topic. I calmed myself down after uh, knowing you and Damien would tell me why everything is okay in the next podcast. And I heard nothing. I appreciate you bringing up this topic as I did not hear it anywhere else. Now, please follow up what you're doing about it. I'm guessing we will just keep drinking the Kool-Aid and pumping money into index funds. Kind of built my whole retirement investing plan on index funds. So look forward to hearing your answer. This is from Fred. All right, so just for those that didn't hear it, you know what the best part about this is? We're doing this with a minute left in this segment. We're not going to have time to address it. Oh, Fred, I'm so sorry. Um, We're going to do our best. So... Michael Burry predicted the housing meltdown 2007, 2008, based on a lot of different things. The book and the movie, The Big Short, was about that prediction and what happened afterwards. His latest prediction is that 
uh, there's a giant bubble in index funds where, where people are putting a lot of money and that the ramifications of that c- could be catastrophic. I don't know whether he's right or wrong, uh, but I, but I do know this people predict bubbles all the time, Dame. And I'm guessing Michael Burry predicted bubbles well before the housing bubble, right? Yeah. And so I don't want to tell you to buy or hold or sell or anything else. I'll just say this. Even if he is right and the market takes a a big dump uh, and goes down, that doesn't mean it won't do what it always does and go right back up. If you happen to be in your late 50s, Fred, and you're hearing this and this is freaking you out, then I get it. If you happen to be younger than that, time usually heals most of those wounds. Dame, would you, do you feel any different about that? We can get a special guest on in the next couple of weeks to, to talk about this, but do you feel any different than that right now? No, I don't. I, I think uh, you just got to be aware of your situation and make sure you're invested appropriately. I'll get, I'll get an index fund on guy on. I promise. I really will. Okay. It feels like I won't now. I believe. Okay. Uh, coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and current events. There's a lot of them this week, including a scooter story. So, you know, I love it. I'm Pete the Planner. This is my show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, the Bwomb, B-W-O-M, right here on the Pete the Planner Show is the Accuracy 2 watch measurement device. The days of wondering if your watch is operating too slow or too fast each day are over. Thanks to this ingenious device made with a sensor that detects every vibration in the movement of a mechanical watch, the Accuracy 2 can help you keep your timepieces on schedule and let you know if a trip to the repair shop is truly necessary by connect connecting to your smartphone or tablet and then putting the watch crown on the device the accuracy 2 detects the frequency rate amplitude and beat error four of the major ways to test the timing of a mechanical watch the real-time analytics are relayed to your screen and you can save them for future reference and differentiate between multiple time pieces in your collection. Now, here's the thing. There's a much larger description, but I think you get the gist of what's going on here, yep. Dave. And for $285, you can hook your watch to an iPhone, which also happens to have accurate time on it. Well, way more and a- figure well, out if you have the accurate time. Yeah, way more accurate time. I used to be a watch guy, and you know how much I cringe in saying that because it's a weird thing to say. I had a lot of expensive watches, and it was a stage, and I'm through that stage, and I don't begrudge anyone who's currently in that stage. I kind of do. My iPhone is the most accurate timepiece next to Dick Clark himself. I used to set my watch every midnight on New Year's Eve to Dick Clark when I was trying to give my wife a kiss, and she would always, oddly enough, be on the other side of the room. But that would give me two free hands to set my hands on my watch and set my watch to Dick Clark time. And every year, the next year, I would look at my watch and it would be terribly off. But I'd look at my iPhone and it struck Dick Clark time on the nose. What do you think, Tim? <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Okay. I, you know, so mechanical, yeah. I, you were a watch guy. The mechanical watches was. are pretty sweet. They are, but like, I got kids. It's my uncle. I think I've told you this. My uncle, who had 10 kids, never played golf. And so, like, a lot of us in the family used to play golf more. And, and he, we were like, hey, come play with his gym. And he'd say, I got 10 kids. If I lose a ball, that's a gallon of milk. <laughs> right? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, I've got different things going on. Bird Scooter raises new funding at a $2.5 billion valuation thanks to longer-lasting scooters. So if you've been in the dark, uh, there is this craze all across the country where this company called Bird <clears throat> and other companies called Lime and I don't know, a bunch of them, they go and dump a bunch of scooters on sidewalks. And then people pay to go dump them somewhere else on a different sidewalk. And people get excited and they get head injuries and the city gets littered and cluttered. And I hate it very much. And it is a forgiveness-based business where they go in and just disrupt a city and then, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This company is now worth $2.5 billion. Crazy, yeah, right? That's crazy. I, and I don't think any one of these companies is ever going to make money because, oh, unless this new scooter uh, will actually turn a profit, the scooters die before they break even. Is that true? Yeah, the scooter. I I just saw um, a report on I don't remember if it was Bird or Lime or whichever one it was, but um, their scooters are obsolete before they turn a profit. You see, there was a I think it was probably a Florida man that was cutting the brake lines of scooters. Did you see this? I saw a, vid- I saw a video. I was <clears throat> I wasn't sure what was going on. Yeah, the dude, just like you know what? I'm I'm done with this. I'm going to clip them, and that's how he did it. Was his last name Dunn? No. Can okay. you imagine if one of our relatives, which we aren't related, so I don't know who that person would be, was out there clipping scooters? That, no, be a proud moment I, at a reunion. <laughs> that, that US, we don't have together. The United States of America hits Scotch whiskey, Italian cheese, French wine with 25% tariffs. The Donald J. Trump administration slapped 25% tariffs on French wine, Italian cheese, single malt Scotch whiskey, but spared Italian wine, pasta, in olive oil in retaliation for European Union subsidies on large aircrafts. Okay, Dame, you know, we talk about tariffs every once in a while on this show, but I feel like this is personal now. Yeah, this it's going to be a sad weekend or, you know, string of weekends at this point. I'm currently not drinking a lot of these things, but I will say when I get back into drinking those things, I will be very upset. I do like some Italian cheese too. What do, come on, a little Taleggio? Come on, Trump administration. Quit adding tariffs to the things we love. You know, wedding loans are a thing, Dame. I feel like we've talked about it on the show, but you know about this? Yeah. I can't imagine starting a relationship in which you've collectively taken on tens of thousands of dollars of debt to kick the thing off. It just seems uh, like a horrible idea. Yeah, I just uh, had a, a conversation uh, yesterday, actually, I think with someone who did a 401k loan for a wedding at the, at our business. I mean, not one well, of our employees, not one of our employees, but yeah, some, one of our participants. Who? Yeah. Really? 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 Can you get me on a three-way call on that? And so I can really weigh in on that as well. Actually, I do have a call with her on Monday. Do you want to be on it? Kinda. 
Okay. We'll talk about it off the air. Um, <laughs> we can gang up on our. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm going to make too a, late. I'm going to make a horrible statement, and I don't know why I chose to disclaim this horrible statement when I usually make a bunch of others, and I don't have any sort of uh, you know comments before I say them. I don't think I would want to marry the type of person that really values a giant ridiculous wedding. But I don't, I don't and then I didn't because my wife doesn't care about those sorts of things. Is that a horrible comment? Because there are some people that are currently about to marry people who want a horribly obnoxious wedding. Yeah, I I it was never something that clearly I was uh interested in but i think that's probably pretty common uh, uh in the uh male species so it's old timey gripe time brought to you by alienating your millennial listeners i'm your host pete the planner also wedding hashtags drive me crazy right mm, yeah sure drive me crazy uh reveal parties for babies drive me crazy like we missed all this stuff man you and i got married to different people early <laughs> Do they drive you crazy or are you just jealous that you missed out on it? That's a fair question. And I don't know if I'm have the capacity to answer it, but I'll tell you this from a wedding hashtag perspective, I'm pretty creative guy. Ours would have been amazing. It would have just said, (laughs) get her done. It would have been get her done. Because the last name is done. Like, I mean, you can't beat that from a a wedding hashtag perspective, unless she were to keep her name. And then it said, get her done hyphen to keep her own name. If you uh, if you don't search that on Instagram after the show's over, I, I don't know who you are. What would have been your gender reveal? Like if you were really into making a big deal out of finding out the gender of your child, what would you? <laughs> what would have? What would have been? Um, I you know what I haven't seen one that I was like you know that's really cool. So <laughs> I, 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 you I haven't don't seen know. any of them that you like. No, I was just like, you know, okay, that's 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 unique, but yeah. it's not something I probably would have done. I'm trying to think what I would do. It have to be fishing related. Like you go into a pond, you you catch a bunch of fish, and you paint the inside of their mouths with fish safe paint. And then you go to catch a fish. This is falling apart. I don't think that would work. No. Because then you don't know which fish you're going to catch, and then you don't know the gender of your baby. It's backfired. All right, Dan, that's all we have time for this week on the show. In the coming weeks, I'm going to have someone on that is an ETF slash index fund expert and to tell us why you should not panic if things go hairy in index funds. That's for our friend Fred. Thank you for all the emails this week. We got a lot of them and we did not read all of them because, well, it's it's not that long of a show. If you want to email us, do so. We might read it. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Damien, thanks for your service. Uh, you're welcome. And thanks for all the listeners out there, especially you, Mom. Send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. <laughs>